it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Park Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, it's been a couple weeks now because you were out in Seattle living it up, enjoying the all-star break, and I feel like everyone in baseball Twitter sort of had a, a piece of that experience with you because it seemed like you were everywhere during the all-star break. Um, even in the background during the draft, as much as you were trying to hide behind the shoulder of your boyfriend sitting beside you, which I found very comical when I was sitting there. It's like, oh, that's Sarah. Oh, God, Sarah knows she's on TV. Oh, God, Sarah's trying to hide. It's not working. <laughs> so I enjoyed that very much so. Um, but I think I sort of just need to start before we get into anything else that's happened over the past week. Week plus was... What the heck? How, how was it? Was it as fun as it looked like from afar? Oh my goodness, it was amazing. Of course, I miss you. Last year, we got to do All-Star Week together, and that was such an amazing time and such a treasured memory for me. So I did miss you, but it was, it was really wonderful. I had never been to the draft. Obviously, this is just the third year that it's been tied to All-Star Week. Prior to that, it had been an MLB network for a while, so even though I'd been at the All-Star game, the prior two years, you and I, timing-wise, couldn't make in town to get there last year. Didn't have credentials anyway. And uh, the year before, I wasn't able to either. This was the first time I was there, as you literally saw, as I realized when there was a Mariners fan a couple of seats ahead of us who had on like five jerseys. He had a Griffey jersey, an Ichiro jersey, maybe Edgar, Julio, and maybe like Jay Buhner. And he started like taking them each off for the camera like showing them off and I realized because they were showing parts of the draft on the Jumbotron in the Seahawks Stadium, I look up and I'm like, oh no, they're showing this live and I'm right behind it. (laughs) And that was the moment you saw me trying to hide, but despite that, and I'm glad that guy had a good time. (laughs) It was really, really cool to be there, see it all happen was really exciting for the draft picks who chose to come to the draft and got to have that moment walking out, being in person, hearing everyone cheer for them, seeing the families backstage, all that. That was really, really cool. And of course, I mean, we have talked about how much I love the Home Run Derby, so certainly being there for that amazing as always and the all-star game was wonderful so so many people made it happen i'm just so so grateful for all of that okay i mean so many questions i could ask highlight of derby day for you 
Oh my gosh, I mean, it is so difficult to pick one thing, but something I loved other than, okay, I get to, I'm giving myself to. Number one is all of the kids on the sidelines every year. I love that so much. And now we have the first ever kid who was on those sidelines and then grew up to win the Derby in right? Black Junior. There are videos of him giving Gatorade to David Ortiz at the 2010 Derby. There's the photo of him in 07 with his father. So after he won, I'm looking around, looking at these kids and wondering who's next. Which one of these little kids, even if their dad didn't win it, is going to grow up and win the Nermi after having been there as a child. So just so many things about the way that children are able to take in that experience. And then kind of related to that is the fact that post-game, when Vlad Jr. was talking to Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez on a segment for Sports Hunter. They asked him, why did you do it this year? You know, because he did in 2019 as rookie, then no derby in 2020, 2021. He wins the All-Star Game MVP. Okay, what led him to come back and say, I'll do it this year? And he said his daughter, was maybe five years old, went to him and said, I want you to do it. And he said, okay, I'll win it for you. Oh. And she was right there as he said that right off to the side. And just hearing that was so perfect. So those are probably the highlights for me. Okay, I have two more questions and then we'll move on. Question <laughs> one, what the heck was the atmosphere like during Julio's first round? Oh my goodness. I mean, it was so electric. I mean, do you remember last year during the Derby when Albert Pujols got in a roll and no one was expecting it and the whole crowd and every player was so into it? Take that and magnify it by like 1,500. I mean, we know how much of a showman he is in the best way possible, how he feeds off the crowd. And this was a crowd that was on their feet when he stepped up to the plate. He could have hit five home runs total and they would have given him an ovation stood up the whole time. And the fact they ended up setting a record with 41 home runs, the most we have ever seen in the Derby round. The way he turned around to the fans kind of behind home plate and then looked up right after that. It was absolutely incredible. It was so exciting. And I love when you have, especially in the early rounds, because, you know, some players leave, their kids have to go to bed, what have you. First round, everyone is there. So it isn't just the fans into it. You have players, you have their kids, you have everybody watching. So everybody on the sidelines, Seeing, reacting, it was amazing. Okay, and I'm just curious overall, what did you think of Seattle as a host city? I really liked it. You know, I wish I got to explore more, you know, better than anyone 
how when we go to these places for work, we barely get to do anything. I mean, you and I were in San Diego for the winter meetings, and if not for being there a day early, we wouldn't have done anything in San Diego. So I didn't get to see a lot of Seattle, but everything I saw was beautiful, and the weather was amazing. Everyone said that the summer is the time to be there, and, you know, maybe it's three months a year, but it was three really good months. And I also just thought it's a great ballpark, great facility, good setup, having the football stadium right there. So it's a really good kind of, like, grounds for an all-star game. Good setup for where play ballpark was and fan fest and all of that. I thought it was well-contained and made it very accessible for fans. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, you talk about the weather. I literally just got back from Texas last night, and uh, my husband came on the trip with me, and he and I went to Six Flags before the first game of the series because it's r- literally right beside the ballpark, and the heat index was 114 when we were oh walking around God. the amusement park. So definitely would have been better better weather in Seattle, and you don't hear people say the best time to go to Texas is the summer. I learned <laughs> why, and of course the Guardians are going back there in two weeks and uh, into Houston, so I'm like, all right, buckle up. Let's do Texas twice in uh, July. Oh so glad that it was better weather, but I mean, next year, that'll be Texas. It'll be going down there in the yeah. middle of the summer. Um, thank God they got a roof over that place now, and uh, it should be a little bit more manageable, but uh, I'm glad you had a great time. It was so fun to watch from social media, I'm sure. Um, all of the people who follow along uh, with you on social, on Twitter, where, wherever, Instagram, I'm sure they all felt like they were sort of part of it with you, because I think it was hard not to, because you were basically popping up all over the place. So, so glad you had a wonderful time. Um I thought it was cool to see the way Otani handled the event because it just seems like each year that he's there, he's more comfortable being the unicorn that he is. Um, and I'm sure that gets old after a while because you're just you. And to everyone else, you're very much not just a normal person. So um, that attention, I'm sure, gets old, but he handles it so well. And it's cool to see him settle in. I know Cleveland fans were very excited when he answered who he was most looking forward to playing with in the All-Star game, and he said Jose Ramirez. And then, of course, the whole next day, Guardian's Twitter turned into, oh, Shohei Otani to Cleveland? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, okay, let's let's slow your roll here. But it was a fun 24 hours for Cleveland fans, I'm sure. <laughs> but the man is unbelievable, and I think just the more that he does, the more I keep sitting here thinking, dear Lord, is he going to make so much money this offseason? And I know that there's one, like, everyone's wondering if he'll be moved by the trade deadline. I really don't think he will. And I think he'll stay there and then this mayhem will break out over the winter. But what a season he's having. And I think we talked about this last time. To lead up to this free agency offseason, I, I just, I can't even wrap my brain around how he's doing it right now and is at, it seems like, his peak. I mean... He matched his 2022 home run total last night. He hit his 34th home run of the year in the ninth inning. By the way, we were talking about how much money he would make in the offseason last year. So even with what he did 
last season. We knew he'd be incredible. And now it is July 17th. He hasn't even yet played for today. And he already has as many home runs as he had last year. I think his pitching maybe was a bit more spotless last year. But even still, he leads the majors in opponent batting average. I keep saying that because it keeps being true, which is just beyond belief. But it's stupid. <laughs> you know, being there in Seattle, I mean, it makes no sense. And being there in Seattle, seeing the way he's followed, I mean, at one point I was hanging out on the field before, uh, I believe it was on Tuesday before the All Star game. And you know when he comes out because it's like the Red Sea parts. And everyone is following after him, you know. All of these guys, they're all-stars. They're all so deserving, as we talked about two weeks ago. And then he is on another level with the number of people and media members. Everyone, PR staffers, you name it, following after him. But... As we know, these next two weeks or so are going to be non-stop Otani trade talk, whether or not he ends up being traded. I agree with you. I think it's so hard to process the idea that he might really be traded, so I'm inclined to think he won't be. But if he is, it would be historic because we have only had one instance of a player winning Cy Young when he was traded. And that was Rick Sutcliffe traded from Cleveland to the Cubs in the 80s and he won Cy Young that year. We've never had a player win MVP in the year where he was traded. The highest finish was Sal Magley in 1956. He pitched for Cleveland, again Cleveland playing in here. And then he was traded to the Dodgers, and he finished second in MVP that year. And then we have two other players who have finished in the top three in the season where they played from multiple teams. Uh, 1957, Red Shandienst, and 1945, Red Barrett. <laughs> Something about these guys named Red back in the day, I guess. But Shohei Otani is the hands-down MVP. So if he were to get traded and still win, it would be historic in so many ways. What happens if he gets traded to the National League? Like, that's the thing that I keep thinking about. Like, if that would happen, he's a slam-dunk MVP winner in the AL, regardless of what league. But then you swap him over to the National League and a guy like Acuna is just going to be like, oh, never mind now. So, sorry. I'm going to just have to take a second seat. Like, Acuna's having an MVP season. Like, it's going to... That would be so wild to me. I Again, I don't think it's going to happen. I, do you know how much it would take for just a rental of uh, two and a half months of Shohei Otani and then you probably won't be able to have any chance of re-signing him to a long-term extension unless you're one of the four teams that probably have the money to be able to do that. I'm just, it's just like, could you unload everything that you have to try to have him for two and a half months? I mean, I'm sure plenty of people would take it, but it's just, I don't, 
I don't know. My brain hurts, and I'm so glad I'm not a front office member because of any team because this is this is too hard to even sort of sort out here. That is my default answer when I get asked what I would do is to say I'm so glad I don't yeah. have to. But I was going to ask you the NL question. I mean, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. very likely may go 40-80 with home runs and stolen bases. He's on pace for a little below, but he's probably going to do something we haven't seen before. So I think he has that locked up. So my question is, and I didn't even look into the rules with it, and you're a voter, so you tell me. But if he were traded on August 1st, is Otani still the American League MVP? Let's say he gets traded to the Dodgers or, you know, whatever other NL team. I feel like he might still be the NL MVP if that's allowed. I mean... Yeah, There's nobody else standing out to that level. I mean, they're great players, but guys like Judge, you know, he seemed like he was on a pace, and then he got hurt about a month ago, so it's not Judge. I mean, it doesn't feel like there are guys who wouldn't probably win because people wouldn't want to vote for someone who had switched leagues over there, you know, there are guys on the Rangers you just saw who are having good years. But if you ask me, it's one of those things, like, we always used to joke on baseball night, and this was, you know, seven years ago now, we would say in 2015-16, about Clayton Kershaw. If he doesn't pitch another game in his current, is he a Hall of Famer? And obviously at that point, he hadn't pitched in years yet. But that kind of conversation, like Votani does not play another game in the AL this year. Is he the AL MVP? I think so. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm stuck. <laughs> I'm trying to see, like, I'm trying to sit here and look up, like, does the BBWAA, even on their website, like, explain this situation? Do we even, like, I, I try, I'm trying I mean, to I mean, I know there have been, so. Go ahead. Zach Ranky won the Silver Slugger for, a, for NL pitchers in 2019 when he was traded to the Astros at the deadline from the Diamondbacks. I believe he may have won the gold glove as well, but those are maybe WA, so I'm not sure. But there have been instances with those wars where guys have switched leagues and won the one for the team they had been on. I, okay. I, I, have, I have no idea how Who this knows? is going to go. Like, it, I'm sort of, now I'm sort of rooting for it because I like chaos and I like to try to figure all this out and everyone right. wondering what the heck happens, so... I don't think he'll be traded, and I'm sure all of this thought process will be wasted on just hypothetical scenarios that will never happen. But, um, yeah, I'm, we're going to take a break right now so I can finish reading what I just pulled up to see if anything will make sense on the other side of the break, which I'm sure it won't. Um, but then when we come back, we can talk AL East. We can, hey, the Naylor brothers coming up here. We can talk about some Cleveland stuff. We have so much more when we come back. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah, and we have more to get into that's probably less taxing on your brain to sit here and try to sort through. So let's get through those (laughs) because I'm spiraling and I'm trying to pretend like I'm okay. Um, The AL East, um, I can't comprehend it because I am watching a division every single day that couldn't be more polar opposite of this one. And so to see a team like the Yankees, uh, I I think I, I, I woke up to Twitter uh, and just saw very angry Yankees fans of being very depressed and seeing how everything is going. And I'm thinking, man, would they struggle in the AL Central because it just seems like the AL Central fan base is just a very large group of very depressed people right now. So um, the AL East is completely opposite. And my gosh, is it fun to watch right now? I mean... This division, I'm this one of those moments. I'm so glad not to be a fan anymore. I was never a fan of an ALE team, but I would be so stressed out watching my team be at 50 wins the way the Red Sox and Yankees are and be tied for last place right now. I mean, not to discourage anyone, of course, but it is just wild to see how good these teams have been. So I came up with this yesterday. So the Red Sox won, as I mentioned, their 50th game on Sunday. Each team in the AL East now has 50 wins, and each of them got there before playing their 95th game. The 2023 AL East is the first division ever Divisions began in 1969 to have each of its teams reach 50 wins in fewer than 95 team games. We've talked about this a bit, and I have a story that I update every month now um, on the first about how good this division has been, but I'm going to give a little post also break update. So as a division, they at least it's a 574 winning percentage entering Monday. The best for a five-team division since divisions began is 541 by the 2022 ALEs. So they're pacing 32 percentage points ahead of the best division ever, which was them last year. And again, this is coming from those wins outside the division. So we talked about this a bit with the new schedule and everything else. The way you as a division have a better win percentage is by beating those teams outside your division, 
which of course you more chances to do this year than ever before. So at least this is 605 against teams outside their division, which again would be the best. And by the way, the division you are watching on a daily basis is at 400 on that, which would be the second worst behind the 2018 L Central a year before you got there, which was at 379 outside the division. I truly can't imagine a year that would be worse than this. So the fact that there was <laughs> so recently is mind boggling to me because you're looking through and five of the six divisions all have at least, what, hmm, two teams that have already hit 50 wins. And the AL Central has none. You're looking at the Yankees and Red Sox right now with 50 wins. In last place, nine games out of first place. And right now the first place team of the AL Central, which is the Twins, they are, let's see... They have 48 and 46, and the Yankees and Red Sox are 50 and 44. Like, they would be two back in the loss column. I'm sorry, this is just ridiculous that the first place team would be two back of the last place team in the AL East in the loss column. Unbelievable. I have no idea what this means because baseball is such a weird sport because when you get into September, anything can happen. When you get into then October, anything can happen. And if a team catches fire at the right time, anyone can make a run. So could this AL Central be pitiful the whole year and just look awful compared to every other division and then the Twins finally win a postseason game or the Guardians go on a tear like last year? You have no idea. And so that's what's so fun about baseball. But I will say it is setting up to be where... Jeez, some of these divisions are just absolutely stacked. And it's so fun to see a team like the Orioles so in it um, because of, you know, the last few years they've started to build, build, build. You're waiting for that ultimate moment of them being this contending team, super competitive contending team, and they're finally there. And I, I think it's just so fun to be able to watch that. So. The AL East is definitely has a lot more excitement going on to the, than the AL Central, I will say that. I will say to the AL Central's credit, I personally, as a person who uh, has never faced a major league fastball and never will, <laughs> so, you know, take that background for what it will. Um, I personally would not want to face Yohan Duran in a postseason game or a regular season game, or a spring training game, or a family softball game. So, given that, you know, I do think you get the Twins in a position in the game in October, maybe in those wild card series where he's coming in the 8th or in the ninth, could go well. I do think uh, he is quite something to face. So I will say, you know, we talk about this all the time, we talked about this when we had Doe on here previewing the AL Central. We talked about sort of it being a division that gets looked down on or maybe skipped over. I'm not counting the division out, even if they're on pace up. The worst overall combined winning percentage, the first shot, they're on pace to be the worst there. 
but you never know what will happen in October, but they at least have been fascinating to watch, and it's going to be really interesting to see how being, you know, tied for last place, tied for fourth, affects the way that teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox approach the trade deadline. Because if you go on record alone, those are teams that are, sell are buyers, no question. And if you go on gravitas of who the teams are, if you tell me Yankees have 50 wins in the middle of July, but they're not in the playoff spot, are they buyers? You say, of course, they're the Yankees, this is what they do. But then you look at what they're looking up at in that division, in that league, and it's a different conversation. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see how that goes. Okay, I, I think I've, we've, we've said the negative about the AL Central, but we do have a positive and about an AL Central team. We'll go into the Josh and Bo Nailers because, oh my goodness, they actually, they made history, which was really cool to see. And it was something that you and I had already been talking about a few weeks back where we were messaging on Slack and I was just curious, like, when would it be, uh, if this would happen at some point where Josh and Bo Homer in the same game, how long ago was it that brothers did that? Or even just specifically Guardians brothers had done that. And so um, we started thinking about it. Never would I have thought that I needed to be more specific and say Homer in the same inning, <laughs> which was unbelievable. Um, like I said, my, my husband came with me to the, to the, uh, the Texas series and he was at the Friday game, and I left the press box for an inning or two, went downstairs and, and sat in the stands with him and watched from there. And I, when Josh came up to the plate, I was like, all right, well, let's just, let's just add a second nailer homer. Here, like, it's coming now. And he looked at me, and he's like, okay. And then it happened, and he said, oh, my gosh. And I was like, well, it just sort of had that feel about it that this was about to happen. And so, of course, I immediately then hop on Slack, run back up to the press box and say, um, Sarah, can you help me on this? Because this is uh, pretty strange and pretty rare. And I know you work with the Elias Sports Bureau and you guys came up with a list of what, nine, nine brother, nine instances of brothers uh, homering in the same inning. And my favorite one was that one of them was against each other. And that was back in 1933, Rick and Wes Farrell. They were, Rick was Boston, Wes was Cleveland, and they both homered in the same inning. They were on opposing teams, and Rick's homer was off of his brother, Wes, which is so cool. I mean, how neat of a random history nugget is that, and why would we have ever known that if this wasn't something that we had to dig into that day? So... Thank you, Josh and Bo, for allowing us to dig back and find that cool little stat. But, geez, like, I, one, I would never have expected that nine brothers had done this already. Um, and But it was really, really cool to see both of them so hyped up. And Josh, as he rounded third base, looking into his dugout, um, just flashed the number two as they were going around third. And Bo just had the biggest smile on his face when he was standing there in the dugout steps. Like, it was just really, really cool for them to have that moment. I mean, that was amazing. 
I was so excited for Bo when he homered because I feel like I've been hearing about him from you for so long now. And I got to see him with him Canada during the WBC and I remember I kept texting you updates about him when he made good plays and I've always kind of had this soft spot for, you know, okay, the middle child, but he's the little brother here and, you know, it's, his older brother is such a big personality, so I think of him as sort of the smaller, quieter one, you know, surely in my head, but this is how I view their family <laughs> dynamics. So I was very excited for him when he homered. And the moment that Josh and them went yard, I was like, Mandy got me ready for this. We had the list, I had done this. Someone asked us, uh, in Slack, someone, one of our colleagues, asked us about the last brothers home in the same game for the same team. And in all caps, I was like, one second, I have this because I gotten it because you had asked me a few weeks ago to be ready. And then, of course, it's let me dig through these and figure out which were in the same inning. So as you said, by far <laughs> the best one is that Pharrell's in 1933 where Rick's homework was off of his brother Wes and his brother Wes who was a pretty good hitting pitcher both homered and gave one up to his brother but I'll read off the whole list these are brothers homework in the same inning since 1900 all of them were for the same team except for the Pharrell's which we talked about so we had the Nailers in 2013, BJ and Justin Upton did this twice for the Braves with the Ripkins for the Royals in 1996 and 1990 with Hank and Tommy Aaron in 1962 for the Braves. And then the other two instances were Lauren and Paul Warner in uh, 1938 and 27 for the Pirates. So it's just one of those amazing things where, you know, sometimes I run into this thing where I'm researching something and I wonder, do I want this to be the first time ever or is it cooler if it joins the list? So we knew this had happened before. Baseball history is too long for this not to have happened again. But this is when I love that this is something that did happen before because you have multiple Hall of Famers on that list in Paul Warner and Hank Aaron uh, and Cal Ripken. You have so many ones people remember in the Uptons. You have ones that nobody around right now, certainly nobody listening to all our podcast remembers with the Varels in 1933. So I love that kind of potpourri. And then like the Uptons were 17 days apart when they did theirs in 2013. What on earth? Could you imagine like just their excitement and how easy coverage that would have been. I'm thinking as a journalist, I'm like, my gosh, twice in a month, that would be so easy to write about and fun. But my gosh, 17 days apart, you're doing something like that? I mean, and I believe one of those were back to back. I want to say 
the one April 23rd, 2013. One of those were not just the same ending, but back to back, which is really, really cool. And there were also the last brothers to home run the same game for the same team regardless, which was in 2014. So they had at least one or two games in 14 where they both homered, but they were in the same inning. And then the same inning instances were in 13. Okay, and I see you have also here that Ellie did something else. What else doesn't he do? Um, I I didn't see this, so I'll let you uh, I'll let you take away your your other stat moment of uh, of the week that we have here. Absolutely. So I mean, as some of our listeners know, this podcast is the um, offspring, let's say, of the Sadcast podcast. So we do have to highlight. A huge sarcast thing that happened this week. We do have to call it out and make sure everyone is aware of it. And that is that on Sunday against the Brewers, L.A. De La Cruz threw a ball from third base 97.9 miles an hour. For an assist, he got Joey Weimer of the Brewers. And it was a play where he had to throw that pass. We have all seen these fast throws. O'Neal Cruz, Fernando Tentis Jr., um, you know, Zach Neto this year. We've seen guys who have good arms and kind of use that as they should. They're God-given talent. But this was something where he was on the edge of the grass, and the only way he was going to get Joey was if he threw it that fast because he had to throw it so far. And that 97.9 miles an hour, is the fastest track infield assist that we have had under Stackhouse, which goes back to 2015. He beat one by O'Neill Cruz by 0.1 miles an hour. O'Neill Cruz had a 97.8 mile an hour throw on July 14th last year. So, similar time of year, maybe there's something about mid July, but regardless, Really, really fast throw, and if you haven't seen it, go to MLB Twitter, Instagram, I'm sure it's on YouTube, you name it. Just Google Ellie Della Cruz throw, and you will see it. This is what we knew he would be doing when he got to the majors. It's not just about the long home runs, hard hit bad balls, and the really, really fast base running speed. This is that other tool that is there, his rocking of an arm. What a fun player. I'm so excited. The more fun players that we have, young fun players, it just seems like baseball's in such good hands as we're moving forward here. Um, so we'll take a quick break right now, and when we come back, we will get to our favorite segment of the week where we give all of our favorite moments from baseball over the last few days. So stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah, and of course, during this segment, we have our lovely producer, Alana Schreiber. Alana, do you want to kick us off again for your favorite moment from baseball over the past week? Yes. So my favorite moment had to be the HBCU Swingman Classic, the all-star game featuring some of the best players at HBCUs around the country, including two HBCUs from Louisiana, Southern and Grambling. I just loved this idea. This concept was so cool. The number of American-born black baseball players has been really declining in recent years, and I just thought that this was such a cool opportunity to showcase this amazing talent and, you know, encourage more kids to take up baseball. And I think the the really special part was it was really the brainchild of Ken Griffey Jr. And it's all happening in Seattle. So I just thought it was so special. NPR actually did a really cute story on it uh, about this one player. Uh, he's a catcher from Queens. And he talked about growing up, not seeing other black catchers really out there that we were American born and how we kind of had to chart his own path there. But it was just a really cool event. And, you know, it was the first, but hopefully not the last. That's awesome. I love that. I think that's a good one. I love that. That's a great one. And, you know, I love there are always these great um, community events and sort of unique events that end up happening around All-Star Week that are tied to the area so i just thought that was such a perfect one and of course it won't be the last and knowing ken griffey jr working with the commissioner's office and everything that's certainly part of the whole play ball initiative and everything that they're doing to grow the game so i love that and it's always great when you get to see just any sort of youth and college players put on display with the background of the All-Star game. I feel like that makes them feel awesome as it should. All right, Slangs, go ahead. All right. All right, so since we haven't podcasted in a while, my favorite moment is going to be my chance to thank the Yankees for everything they did for my family and for me. On July 4th, they hosted us on the 84th anniversary of Lou Gehrig's speech. And not just me, but members, I believe seven members of her ALS story, which is a support group of young women diagnosed with ALS before turning 35. And we were all on the field before the game. We got a tour of the museum, we saw Lou Gehrig's bat, we saw Lou Gehrig's hat that they have in the museum, but I really isn't about me. And first of all, a huge thanks to Jason Zillow, PR guy for the New York Yankees, who did an amazing job with the entirety of Hope Week, but who listened to me when I said, I don't want it to be all about me. I want us to honor other young women. He and Caitlin Brennan of the New York Yankees PR staff did an amazing job. Aaron Boone, New York Yankees manager, and a longtime colleague of mine, Addie Espian, was amazing. And Garrett Cole, who I never met before, um, we had a Zoom where they told me about all this, and he was so kind. He was even kinder in person. So wonderful to my parents. 
when I saw him at the All-Star game and his first question to me was, did your parents enjoy the day? And I was just like, what a guy, what a person, that that is his first question. So just a huge thanks, thank you for everything. It's a really, really impactful and meaningful day. I, I, I saw it from afar, obviously, and goodness gracious, they did an unbelievable job, as they always do. It wasn't surprising to see that they did an unbelievable job. And your parents killed it on their first pitches. I mean, we need to make sure we highlight that. Um, I'm sure that they were nervous. And I know that you guys didn't give them too much of a heads up so they wouldn't get too nervous. But that's not an easy task. They went out there. They were wonderful. Um, And it was so cool to see all the highlights of that. So, yes, obviously, I cannot believe we haven't spoken since then. So I'm so glad that you did bring this back up. Um, that was such a, a wonderful day and the Yankees did such a great job. So I'm so glad that we were able to bring that back up. Goodness, I can't believe we haven't talked since then. Okay, let's see. What do you got? I, yeah, I'm, I have a couple in my head, but I think it's really, really hard for me to top baby a Rosa Reina because, oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Like she was so stinking cute. And so during the home run derby, a lot of those guys, you talked about the kids who are on the sideline. There's a lot of kids who are associated that they bring in for the event who are out in the outfield catching fly balls, who are out um, on the sidelines running up Gatorades and towels, whatever the guys who are participating need. But there's also so many players' kids who are sitting with those with the guys who were involved. You talked about it with Vlad Jr. when he was there watching his dad. So we've seen this for years. But goodness gracious, did Baby Arena win my heart over? And so I was hopeful that he continued to keep staying in each round so that Baby Arena kept having her time in the spotlight. And when he went to home plate with her, and he did his arms crossed yes. and he put her down on the plate with him. And then she sort of like t- the plate. You don't realize how much the plate is raised off the ground until a toddler who just wobbles um, instead of being confident in a walk is standing on it and takes that leap off of the side of the plate. And she's like unsteady, but she she held it together. Um, and he had to hold his pose for a second for the camera to get it. And then he'd immediately run down to make sure that she was not running away too far. Um, but that was the, the highlight for me always is seeing the players, little kids. And so the little girl, uh, Randy or Rosarena's little girl was so stinking perfect. And I, I couldn't get enough of her. And I love that she was there. I love that other players were holding her when Randy was hitting and she was just sort of on her little tablet or holding a baseball or just watching what's going around her. Like she was just so chill and it was so funny and a second runner-up to that was seeing Mookie Betts' little baby on his wife's chest whenever they were interviewing yes. her. Oh, my gosh. What a tiny little baby that it was. Oh, I, I was so excited about all of it. So thank you, All-Star Break, for always allowing us to peek behind the curtain and see the personal lives, see these adorable little children, and allowing it to be a family uh, event for all of these players involved. So during the derby, my mom was texting me in all caps, like, baby Rosarina, look at her. 
I can remember watching the Derby with my mom being probably 11 and 12 years old, being more focused on Prince Fielder's kids on the sidelines, who I mentioned on here, and watching all the little kids. I remember when we went in 2013, we were very excited to see if um, Buster Posey had his kids with him because they were, I think, two years old at the time. But we have been watching those kids on the sideline, watching them have the time of their lives forever. It was so funny for my mom to be texting me about that. And I'm staring at her not that far from me over there being like, yeah, she is adorable. <laughs> but the other kids' story I'll tell is that, you know, you forget how these kids form friendships too. So one of the other things I noticed, for a handful of the first round at bats, one of Sonny Gray's sons and one of Nick Cassianos' sons we're fielding rounders together down the NL sideline. I don't know if that was shown on TV, but I believe um, it was Sonny Grayson who had the glove, and then Cassiano's son was rolling them and then catching them back. But you realize they were teammates on the Reds, probably when those kids were, you know, they looked to be around 10-ish now, so they're probably that time when their teammates, what, five to seven-ish? I'm doing rough age math here, <laughs> but they were kids. They are playing baseball together, and here they are so excited to see each other again. So you forget how much of, I don't know if we forget, but I would say the average fan forgets how much this is these children's lives day to day. So for them to get to see their friends, and see everybody is amazing. And again, we mentioned Dave Ortiz and the fact that Vlad Jr. was helping him in 2010. I do want to call out one other moment, which was there was a whole mic'd up segment of everything from the Derby that went up online from MLB. And there's a moment where Dave Ortiz says to Vlad Jr., you are a power hitter. You were born to hit. And then if you go back 13 years, there's Lone Vlad Jr. handing him Gatorade. There's just something amazing about how long these families have known each other. I have opened just the biggest can of worms here, and I feel like we could just go down a rabbit hole of children's stories. So I will cut it off for the sake of everyone participating and listening, because I promise you we could go for hours, but I, I will not get over baby Rosarena now or anytime in the future. And I pray that he is a part of every all-star break moving forward because I need to watch her grow up because now I'm fully invested in this child. Um, but that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.